Quest Community Church, living life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. Thank you. Well, good morning. Well, I'm so glad you guys are not on summer vacation like others. So, thank. Good morning. I'm glad you're here. Um, we are in the middle of studying Ephesians, and we're identifying where we as Christians have glitches and connections individually and as a church. And last week, Ross talked about Ephesians 4, and he, it, where it says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. And then I get to talk about the next verses. To be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So the focus today is how do we put on the new self? How do we renew our minds? You know, my job as a counselor is about trying to help people change. And as we all know, some change just does not come easy. And so my hope today is that you're going to gain a clear perspective in how to help yourself and others connect more with God to have meaningful life transforming in a life transforming way. Now, the first step that we know with any change is begins with God. I need you. Ephesians 1.18, we had talked about earlier, Paul prays that prayer when he asks God that the eyes of our heart may be enlightened in order that we may know the hope to which he has called us. You know, it has become more apparent to me for some reason in the last year that I have to use these things. Um, I struggle with that because, you know, I've never had to use glasses and um, you know, I am now going to grocery stores because I forget it or I don't want to bring them. And so I've asked strangers, what does this label say in the grocery store? I, my texts, I'm never quite sure what I'm saying. Um, you know, cooking, there's been some problems because cooking at the right temperature is important to do. Um, but I am trying to figure out, okay, I need to use these lenses. But what we see in the scripture with Ephesians is that Paul is saying we all need to get our eyes enlightened. We all need new lenses. I mean, a lens is really a simple technology. You know, it depends on how it bends light. And so we can either see clear or we can see blurry. And so it can give us the ability to see God better or we can have a misperception of who he is. And I think throughout our life in the process of renewing our minds and and transforming our brains, we have to really be thoughtful of when we need a new lens change. Because have you ever been in a relationship where you've made a mistake and maybe acted like a real jerk and that was years ago and you're still in this relationship and then you still get treated like you've never changed by that person? That just ticks me off really bad because it's like, I have made change. Can you not acknowledge that and to see that? Relationships, whether it's with each other or with God require lens changes because we're all growing. That's what makes a relationship fascinating is that we get to be a part of those changes that are happening. And so I want us just to start with that prayer. Okay. Well, God, we just thank you so much that you're here, that you're with us. And Lord, we just ask that you would give us the ability to see you better. I pray that you would enlighten our eyes so that we can see. And we just need you and we thank you. Amen. Well, I'm going to start off with some ways that the world explains transformation, and then I'm going to talk about how the Bible explains transformation. So let me apologize up front, because I'm sure this is going to feel like a psychology class, and if you would like, afterwards I can give you class participation points, okay? But it's it's my grid, this is what I do, and this is who I am. But So from a psychological perspective, trying to bring change, 
Um, most counselors have a very eclectic approach, which means that they'll use a variety of different approaches to try to help that person with that particular need. And one of the most helpful approaches when it comes to renewing the mind comes from a guy named Albert Ellis called Rational Emotive Behavior Therapy. Now, he believes that irrational beliefs are at the core of our emotional disturbances. So um, so his, his theory has people look at irrational ideas such as, I must have love and approval from all the significant people in my life. Now, why would that be irrational? Is because no matter how wonderful, giving, thoughtful you are, there are going to be some significant people in your life that just may not like you. And that's just the way it rolls. Um, and so we can't keep struggling to make that happen. It's irrational. How about this one? I must perform important tasks, important tasks competently and perfectly well. How is that not irrational? Or how is that not rational? Because there's just some times that you're not going to be able to do everything perfectly well, right? Um, mediocre is best that you can do sometimes because of so many different competing needs. Now, we know that brain surgery needs to be done perfect, right? But a house does not need to be cleaned perfectly, right? So that's challenging some of those irrational ways that we believe. And he starts off with this ABC model. Now, I have used this for my own kids even. Um, we'll, we'll take it out on a piece of paper and we'll write these out. But the first one would be like there's an activating event. Something happens. And then it, there's a belief about that event, your belief about that situation, which largely causes C, emotional consequences. And you can either have an emotionally healthy response or an unhealthy response. If you have an unhealthy response, that's where you're going to want to dispute under D, dispute unhealthy and, and challenge those irrational beliefs, which should lead to E, an effect where you have a healthier belief system. Okay? Sounds a little bit strange. So let's say that we're working with somebody who has an eating disorder. Okay, so they put their jeans on this morning and they're too tight. Okay, so somebody with an eating disorder, that could freak them out. They may be under C, they would be feeling depressed, anxious, like, oh my goodness, this is horrible. I want to die. They could even be at the point of contemplating suicide because their jeans too tight. Some of us probably woke up this morning and our jeans were a little tight. Are you ready to kill yourself? You know, no. So how can two people have the same situation that they go through, but have very different consequences? It's because a lot we need to look at what the beliefs are. Because for her or for him, I'm fat. My jeans are too tight. Therefore, I'm fat and I just, I'm worthless. I might as well die. That is thinking that you have in your head and it doesn't seem as insane in your head. But when you get it written on paper, that's pretty powerful. And so the process of D would be then challenging that belief. Okay, what is the real truth? Okay, you know, there is more to you than your appearance. There is a, you are special. There are things about you. And you can, you know, make some healthy choices and so forth. But my value is not based on looks. And then E, hopefully, then you would say, well, gosh, it's disappointing my jeans are too tight. But, you know, to... But that doesn't affect what is positive about me. So you take more time to unpack that. And then another example would be, the event would be your boss comes in and they tell you that they're really unhappy with your work. Ugh. What's your response? It could be anxiety. You want to withdraw from people. So why would not everybody who hears that message from a boss goes to that place? So what's your belief? It could be that I'm a failure. I'm going to lose my job. And if I lose my job, I'm going to lose my house and I'm going to lose my family. It just starts roller coasting from there. 
So we have to, we have to dispute that belief. The truth is what? I did my best. Maybe my boss is having a difficult day. You know, maybe I need to be more open to feedback and grow on my skills. And so the effect of thinking more healthy would lead to a sense of, you know, again, I could be disappointed, but I'm comfortable with my performance, my ability to grow. Does that make sense? Um, this model has been used in the Christian community for a long time because there's definitely some scriptural underpinnings to it. You know, it talks about in Romans 12 about renewing your mind. Um, and so writing or talking that out can help us to see the unhealthy, sinful ways that we think more clearly. Um, and with certain kinds of depression, we are able to see that when we are able to improve how we're thinking, it actually has the same power as taking antidepressants. So when we're dealing with anxiety and depression, we often use both cognitive therapy and um, medication to help with the best results. You know, when I went to counseling eons ago for the first time, my counselor used these kind of cognitive exercises. She gave me a three-by-five cards, and I had to have many, and I was supposed to identify all the negative thoughts that I had on each one of them for each, for every negative thought, have one card. And then on the back side of that card, I was supposed to write the truth. And I was supposed to take every truth and back it up with Scripture so that I knew I could really stand on it strongly. And that was a very helpful exercise because I became more aware of how I was really falling into some of that negative thinking and how that was bogging me down. And But yet, there was something that was missing. I knew that I needed more, but I didn't know quite what it was because I'm like, you know, I'm paying you big bucks. Is really, is this all you got for me? And um, so I needed to have that ability to take that truth and get it down more into my heart. And as I've been on this journey, both professionally and personally, I'm incredibly grateful for the books and for the people and the relationships that are my, in my life that have helped me to take that cognitive understanding and connect more to an experience. You know, because I hear other people say it too. They'll say, like, I know God loves me, but yet he feels so distant or unavailable. Or I know about God's grace, but I still feel inadequate or ashamed. And, you know, and to give this exercise of a three-by-five card um, can seem somewhat simplistic when somebody really has lost their job or their kids are experimenting with drugs um, or you have a child who, an adult child who keeps getting into abusive relationships and you don't know how to help. There's got to be more than just the thinking component. So healthy biblical thinking is critical, um, but it needs to go deeper. And we need the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit and relationships with other people that reflect that power and love of the Holy Spirit. Another counseling method that has helped me change is called person-centered therapy. And the foundational belief behind this is that if, if you can give people a place where they feel valued and listened to, and giving them unconditional acceptance, regardless of their behavior, you can unconditionally accept them, they're going to take off the mask or the facades that they normally wear, and then change can happen because they're able to be more direct and open and honest. So let's say that you grew up in a family where when you felt sadness, they would look at you with like ridicule or, you know, like you're sort of stupid. So you get, um, so when you have sadness, it gets connected with feeling ashamed and stupid. So after, when you have those kind of experiences, your neurons are passing messages throughout your brain and they create neural pathways about what sadness or other emotions feel like. So I'm, I'm going to get even a little bit more nerdier, so be prepared, okay? Donald Hebb, in 1949, he had some research that showed that neurons, that's what these are, 
um, when they fire together, they wire together. So what he is saying is that neurons that fire repeatedly, um, they activate a particular pattern. And so the next time they're going to fire, they're going to go easier to that pattern. So a neuron and the pathway, they become like a single thread. And every time you repeat a certain way, it gets stronger and stronger and stronger. So if you're always connected to every time you feel sadness, you get look of shame or, you know, like you're stupid. Um, you're going to have that same reaction. And it's going to be really difficult when you have a feeling of sadness to be able to have a healthier approach because sadness and any other emotion is, is good to feel. It's good to identify. And so... Um, we want to be able to figure out in psychology, we're trying to figure out like, how do you help them rewrite some of those strong neural pathways, um, in a different way. And I think that's one of the reasons why person-centered therapy is successful because it helps change the brain's pathway. Because when someone listens to you in a way that's different with compassion and empathy, it actually can help rewire your brain. And so, um, it helps you to be able to connect to yourself in a different way. So when we look at somebody with compassion and not discuss, disgust, we are in the process of renewing somebody's mind, helping them to rewire. And so I think maybe that's part of the aspect of why the church and the body is so important. You know, as friends, as parents, as coworkers, um, we can be in relationships where our brains are being renewed by taking time to share our thoughts and our feelings and listening to the thoughts and feelings of others. You know, it's not just a respectful thing to listen to you, your friend or your spouse talk about their feelings. Because I know some people are just like, could you hurry it up? But if you know physiologically by you attuning to who they are, you are helping them rewire their brain and being able to connect to themselves, to others, to God in a better way. Um, a final example I'm going to give you about is from Gestalt therapy. And this one is a little bit wild. This is one, it's more expressive. Um, the purpose of it is that they want to help bring past experiences that are currently messing you up in your present. They want you to be able to relive um, and emote some of those experiences. So in essence, they try to recreate it. Um, an example, let's say that a man was involved in an accident where his brother is killed. So he feels incredibly responsible. It wasn't his fault, but he can't think that. He feels very responsible, and and he gets to the point where he's just suicidal. He blames himself for his brother's death. Now, the truth is what? Mistakes happen even when people are careful, right? And so how does he get that truth? And the truth that God is with him and loves him, it doesn't seem to penetrate for him. It just seems like it's almost trite or irrelevant. So Gestalt therapy would have that person maybe do a role play. And they would have a counselor play the role of the deceased brother. And they would have a a strong um, experience where they get to talk. Um, and And for him to be able to share some feelings with his brother that he hadn't been direct about. Now, that sounds so artificial, doesn't it? And it sounds weird. But once you, um, it's, it's really surprising to watch by reliving an experience and being able to talk about what that does. Because sometimes those neural pathways are so strong that when you have an emotive experience, it can help rewire and help you to rethink. And you can get insights that you couldn't get before. An example biblically would be, you know, David in the Psalms. 
we see him writing out lots of thoughts and feelings like, you know, oh God, you know, break their teeth. And, you know, he gets very expressive in connecting with God. And in that process, we see that David is able to work through some of his emotions and come to the truth of who God is and get to that going from the head to the heart. And so um, a lament, we can do laments. Um, we, we, when in some of the services that we do or the way we talk about, we learn how to talk with God in a way of expressing our emotions and for him to be able to connect to us in a way that can release us. So psychology has some, some good ways that they try to help bring change and it can help to some extent, but we know that without, we cannot have real transformation without the power of the Holy Spirit. And so it leads me to this example that's been helpful for me in thinking through how to help encourage spiritual transformation, especially with my kids. I see people more on a spectrum or a continuum of being a thinkers and feelers. And now with any uh, compare contrast, you're going to have overgeneralizations, but I think there can be some helpful points. Thinkers often have strengths in being more analytical, linear, and logical. Feelers are usually more intuitive or creative. They're better at reading and expressing their emotions. And thinkers, they often walk on this continuum and they're drawn more to gaining knowledge. Whereas feelers, they walk on that continuum and they're more drawn to having experiences. Which pulls into my premise that for real and deep change to happen, we need to have engaged both the thinking and the feeling together with the power of the Holy Spirit. Now these terms sort of describe my kids, I think, fairly well. And I have their permission to share. Um, but So I have these sons, and they are more what I would say are thinkers. They challenge me intellectually. I totally love their puns. They're the best ever. And their intellect is the major place that I believe that they're going to experience success and that they'll get to know God. But my hope is that they don't stay on that end of the spectrum. I don't want them to dismiss the realm of the emotion and the experience because that's the place where their family is going to need them and their friends. I want them to be able to more truly embrace the emotive realm of experience because that's where you really feel the joy of holding your first child. God inhabits both our intellect and our emotions. And then on the other end of the spectrum, I have this amazing daughter that I'd love, but she often is late coming home from school because she has gotten lost by looking at a flower or a tree and she has to take pictures of it, and she has to sit with it and be with it. And um, she has dimensions. She hears dimensions in music that I do not hear. There's something about her to be that she's created for experience. And um, she has had some beautiful experiences with God, and it has left her desiring much more. And as we have tried to figure out how to help her to navigate her relationship with God, I've questioned her expectations of God. And we were sitting up, many nights we've sat up, and but one night in particular, she was like, oh gosh, where is God? I don't feel him. I want to feel him. And, you know, I asked like, okay, well, do you think that maybe your expectations of God may be a little bit too much? I mean, could you not be more happy just enjoying God in nature and in your music? And, I mean, you should have seen the look that she gave me. It was like, I was asking her to get married to somebody who would never love or nurture her in a way that was meaningful. And I was like, oh, well said, Elise, because um, who am I to make God smaller for her? You know, he has wired her for an emotion and experience, and I want to, and I know he wants to connect with her in that. 
So how does God want to bring transformation to two different, very wired kinds of people? How does he want to bring transformation to you? For you deep thinkers, God comes into your thinking before he touches your emotions. Uh, You love God with your mind first and your heart second. It's the doorway that God connects with you, and it is really, really good. But what's the problem that a thinker can have? You're more vulnerable to logic, intellect, and mental assent only. For some of you, you focus your walk more on having the right beliefs theologically, and that is great and important. But we know that knowledge alone doesn't satisfy because there's limits to what knowledge can do. Knowledge alone doesn't help you from from stopping losing your temper. We can have a lifeless spirituality if we just go mechanically through the motions and the correct ways of doing things. Um, It's important to have knowledge, but it can't stand on its own when we're talking about transformation. So if you're a thinker, you're wired for incredible thoughts about God. But learn to take those thoughts and expand them and translate them into full experiences with him. If your thinking is your preferred mode, you may have a tendency to analyze emotions, but not feel them. Because emotions can be a concept that you know about, but not experience. So recently, an analytical thinker, she was asking God for help in her relationships because she knew she had some shortcomings in loving people well, especially her family. So she went and she asked God and she was like, can you please help me love my family better? And what was what was just so beautiful is that instead of getting the specific behaviors about how to be more loving, this thinker got overwhelmed with a sense of the love of God. And isn't that just a beautiful way of that God to answer that prayer? Then instead of giving those behaviors, he overwhelmed her with a feeling and an experience, which was telling her that, you know what, the more that you pull into me and experience my love, you're going to be able to love your family and others so much better. Now, I know um, that's what we call as integration. I know some of you thinkers, and you have experiences with God, like a friend gets miraculously healed, or you have a scripture that just like, oh, this is so cool, and it becomes alive. But within days, and sometimes even hours, you talk yourself out of those experiences. Oh, that just really wasn't God. It was just a coincidence. Feelers are sensitive to moods and atmospheres. Uh, Oh, so anyway, so that really wasn't God, and it was just a coincidence. What is it about being up here? Your nose always runs, and every time you do it, it's Okay. So feelers are um, really sensitive to moods and atmosphere. They live by experience, and they're easily touched, and they look outwardly like they um, experience God more. But this is really, really good. But what's the problem that a feeler can have? A feeler can have a heart that's touched but isn't changed. I mean, they may say like, oh gosh, wasn't that a great prayer time? I just really felt God. Or worship today was great. The presence of God was there and I really felt him. Those are all wonderful, valid experiences. But a feeler can be satisfied on just a fraction of the purpose of what God wanted that experience to be about for you. So instead of really understanding and deeply getting the wisdom that he's trying to teach, a feeler can be driven, driven by just wanting another experience. So, and to the point where a feeler can even manufacture their own. So the bottom line is, enjoy your experiences, um, but you may not keep them if you don't connect them to your thinking, because you can lose out on the fullness that God wanted. So feelers, you have to be very intentional in asking questions to seek knowledge. Knowledge that will open up and establish you in a place that that experience opened up. 
Now, I'm not saying that if you're a feeler and you're having an experience, because I've seen some of you get prayer and God is touching you and there's something that he's doing. And then you start to analyze it and think it through. Um, when you have an experience, just let the experience be for what it is. But when that experience starts to fade, that's when you ask God and have a conversation. What was that about? Um, what do you want me to learn from this? So if I could just see, um, for you guys, where are you? Are you more of a thinker or more of a feeler? Who's more of a thinker? Thinker? Oh, yeah. And and who's a feeler? Do we have some feelers in here? Yay. Okay, okay. So imagine yourself on that line. Your job is to love how God wired you, but to also work to engage the opposite end, what the opposite end has to offer. Because the goal in spiritual transformation is that integration of embracing the strength of both the thinking and the feeling. You know, you thinkers, you often focus more on that knowledge. So if you know that, be very aware of your thoughts as you read the Bible, listen to a message, go through the day, write down those incredible thoughts. After a few days, you can look at your thoughts. Choose the one or the ones that you like. And those are the ones that you go to God with in prayer and say, okay, can I have some more depth and fullness to this? Because God wants to take those very thoughts and provoke an experience. Because how do we get that head knowledge to that heart knowledge? Um, So in order, again, for a thinker to get to that more experience, you may have to think through, like, what kind of actions can I take? Many thinkers are good at doing but what I haven't seen thinkers be great at is in doing doing things that engage that heart and not just the head. And I know some thinkers say, well, gosh, you know, I don't want to artificially make up an experience. But when we look at the Bible, which we'll do in just a little bit, um, God continually asks people to engage in action and experiences. And those elevated their knowledge, their understanding of him. So, and then just as thinkers have to be open to engage in the knowledge, um, thinkers have to be engaged in the experience to help them to connect their faith. Feelers have to walk along that continuum, valuing experiences, learning how to connect it to knowledge, to internalize what God is doing. I have seen feelers be super, super bothered when that experience started to fade, but pull into like, God, what, what are you wanting to do in me? Because this is where he wants you, who he wants you to become and who, what he wants you to get a hold of. It brings more freedom. So some biblical examples. Right now I'm just totally loving reading through Gideon and Judges. And I love who Gideon is because he was someone who paid attention to God in a time in Israel's history where practically no one else did. We see God giving Gideon a huge upgrade, a new lens change. As God told him that I'm going to use you to save Israel. I mean, Gideon's need for a lens change was seen in his initial response to God. When he heard God say, I'm going to use you to save Israel, his, his response was, I love it. Pardon me, Lord. <laughs> um, my clan is the weakest and I am the least in my family. Gideon was tentative to think that it was God communicating. But every time that God gave him a request, he chose to step out. He chose to engage in an experience. And it ultimately led to the victory for Israel over the Midianites, despite being outnumbered hugely. So his, his story I love because it's, it's, God is not always rational when it comes to having, giving us experiences. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and the other eastern people joined forces against Israel. Gideon was outnumbered four to one. 
And so the Israelites were saying, okay, all we have to do is just kill four people each, right? And God was like, okay, no, you're going to get, I know that you're going to try to take the credit. If you win, you'll take the credit. So you know what I'm going to do? He told Gideon, I want you to tell everybody who's scared, you can go home. And the smell of burnt rubber was evident when 22,000 men left. So then he's left with just 10,000 guys. And then Gideon tells him, God tells Gideon, I want you to take these men down to the river. And depending upon how they, they drink water, um, I want you to tell them whether they can stay or go home. So it was now from 10,000 all the way down to 300 men. They were outnumbered 400 to 1. That is not an army that I would want to have, you know. So then it's, that's when God says, now I want you to go and surround the enemy. I mean, Gideon's thinking like, seriously, you know, how is this going to work? It is so not logical. So God sees that Gideon's concerned. So what does God do? He says, you know what? I can give you um, a word, but you'll have to go down to the enemy's camp to hear it. And like, seriously, I mean, the Bible talks about how the enemy was so huge. They were thick as locusts and camels could not be counted because they were like sand on a seashore. I mean, I would be saying, God, you can show me that word right here now. I don't want to go down to the enemy camp. But Gideon stepped out and experienced. And he went down there to the enemy's camp, stepping over tents and tripping over ropes and thinking, I must be crazy. But he ends up outside of a tent. And this guy, the enemy in the tent, had just had a dream. And it was a round loaf of barley bread that was rolling down the hill. And it smashed the tent. And the, his partner, the enemy in the tent, says, I know what that dream means. It means, he says, I know what it means. This can only be the sword of Gideon. God has given the whole camp into Gideon's hands. I mean, I'm sure that Gideon is outside the tent going like, barley bread, a sword. This, this just doesn't make This is not logical. It doesn't make sense. But what did they get? Gideon got a lens change, and so did Israel. They had the knowledge that God was the God of Israel. But when they walked out that experience, they knew that he was the God of Israel. That's what we're going for. That's transformation. In the New Testament, we have Peter, and he had many experiences with Jesus. One key one that I love is when um, Jesus tells all the disciples to go ahead and go on the boat, and he'll meet them on the other side of the lake. So, um, they get in that boat and late at night, they're out in the, in the middle of the lake and they see a ghost, but then they're like, no, it's not a ghost. It's Jesus. And so Peter says to him, is that you? And Jesus said, come, he didn't give him a 45 minute sermon on this is how you walk on water. He just said, come experience. And Peter did. And when we see a few chapters later, um, Jesus asked the disciples, who am I? And who was the disciple who boldly states, you are the son of God? It was Peter. He had not only seen Jesus command the elements, he walked on the water with him. Peter's experience was connected to truth, and Peter knew in the depth of his being that he was the son of God. He had a major lens change. And then Paul, the writer of Ephesians, he had to have a huge lens change, a huge transformation, when Paul was, you know, formerly known as Saul, right, he totally believed that he was serving the purposes of God when he persecuted the early church. He was there when Stephen was stoned. He had many Christians killed and ripped families apart. He destroyed communities. Can you imagine what was going on in the, in the mind of Paul when he heard, heard that voice saying, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
And he goes, well, who are you? And Jesus said, you know, it's Jesus. I'm the one that you've been persecuting. I can't imagine how horrified and terrified that Paul must have been. Because everything he had studied, all the knowledge he had gained, everything that he had put his life into protecting was wrong. And so this powerful experience that he had with Jesus brings up again that critical point that transformation needs the power of the Holy Spirit. And in the Old Testament, we see the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon people. But in the New Testament, Jesus says, I have to leave so the Holy Spirit could become more than just upon you, but that I could live in you. Paul's lens was so changed that we see him no longer living in shame, disappointment over the heinous sins that he had done. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul writes, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? Saying that the body was a temple to a first century Jew, it was outrageous because for, for a Jew, it was, the temple was the centerpiece of life. That was where you went to meet God, to talk with God, to hear God. And then now, Paul is saying that you, through the presence of the Holy Spirit in your body, is the, is the living presence of God. It communicates such a deep sense of the intimacy that God wants for us. That's a huge lens change. And it's a huge lens change for us. Because I know that I don't live in the fullness of the understanding of that knowledge. It remains a lot head for me and not yet enough heart. So in summary, most of us are going to want to live on the on that side that we're most comfortable with, our thinker or our feeler. But in order to experience God more, we have to move across that continuum for more integration. To move out of your default position to embrace both our thinking and our feeling. So our thinkers, we often have to process thoughts into actions and actions that engage our heart. Because who knows? You know, maybe God's going to ask you to do something crazy like walk into the enemy's camp or to walk on water. Or maybe it's going to be as simple as you asking somebody to pray for you. And feelers, you have to internalize experiences into thoughts. Take time for more stillness to get more knowledge. When you have a prayer time and God speaks something to you, think about it, sit with it. Let scripture expand it. And so finally, just to reemphasize, with experience... Um, with experience undergirds, can undergird our knowledge and elevate it. And knowledge can undergird experience and ground it. So I'd like to pray for you. Well, God, we just are so incredibly grateful for how amazing you are, how big you are, how you don't make sense all the time. I thank you for the bigness of who you are. And I thank you for all the amazing, incredible thinkers and the powerful, passionate feelers that we have. I ask that you would bless those strengths, but I ask that you would help us to know how to integrate and to become more connected to you through a variety of experiences and through knowledge. I pray your blessing upon all of that. I bless the experiences that you want us to have. And God, I ask that we would just never shy away from what it means to be with you in both spirit and in truth. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Join us at Quest as we walk with one another in friendship while discovering the reality and goodness of God together. 
For more information and service times, visit us online at go to quest.org.